Torah Resource presents the Rob and Caleb Show. All aboard! And now, from two sides of the same state, here they are, Rob and Caleb. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. My name is Caleb Hegg, and with me, as always, my friend, my mentor, my teacher, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? Hi, Caleb. Shalom. How's it going, brother? It's going very well. Thank you very much. All Looking right. forward to your visit here next, well, boy, what, just a few weeks from few, now. A few weeks away. That's right. We're going to be over uh, over on the east side of Washington. We're going to uh, be with Rob Vanhoff. It's going to be great. I'm very excited. And, Praise God. Yeah. And beyond that, Ariel Berkowitz just uh, is flying into, t- into our town today, and he'll be around for a week, and then uh, he's coming back for that. So he'll be with us in uh, in Spokane. Uh, it's going to be a great time. We're going to have a whole lot of fun. I'm very excited for it. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, so, um, well, hey, thanks everyone for tuning in with us to the Rob and Caleb Show. We're excited. We got a, a couple of really good things on the horizon today and even next week. I don't know if our listeners have their finger that much on the pulse of social media and just the internet in general. Perhaps they do, perhaps they don't, and even if you do, I'm not sure what circles you might run in on the social media, internet sphere, um, but I think you, if you uh, keep the Sabbath, then you would pretty much have to not be on the internet at all to not realize that there was quite the debate last Saturday night between between Jim Staley and Chris Rosen, Rose. Borough. That's right. Roseboro. Um, and the name of the debate was, should Christians keep the Sabbath? Now, before we go any further, I just want to say, if you hear a little bit of noise in the background today, uh, it's because we have all the doors in our office open and uh, we got fans going. It's a scorcher here in Tacoma, Washington today. So if you hear a lawnmower or something in the background, I apologize. We're just not that professional yet. Um, so anyway, back to this. Wait, deb- professionals can mow their lawns. <laughs> yeah, but normally they don't have them in the background of their podcasts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so anyway, back to this debate. Uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is because we have some very, very exciting things going on today and next week. This week, today, the show that you're listening to, we're going to bring uh, Mr. Jim Staley on to our program. Uh, Mr. Staley is the gentleman who took up the the uh, guns for the uh, pro-keep Sabbath in this debate uh, on should Christians keep the Sabbath. He is the director of Passion for Truth Ministries. And uh, the next week, we're going to bring his opponent, uh, Chris Roseborough. I always get his name. Is it Roseborough? It's Roseborough. That's okay. how they pronounced it. I just listened to another radio show that he was on, and that's how they pronounce it. So I'll ask him before he comes on next week exactly how to pronounce his name, because I, I think I'm getting it right, but I, but I could be wrong. Anyway, so, uh, and the point, I want to I stress this a lot. The point of these interviews are not going to be to debate people. You know, we're going to disagree with both, both these gentlemen on different issues. That's not the point. Uh, we're going to be, we're not going to be talking about other issues besides this debate. We want to talk about this debate, I want to give both these guys a platform to be able to say, I should have said this differently, or I wish I would have had time to say this, or, uh, you know, I think I won the debate when dot, 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 whatever. Uh, you know, I want to give it, give them a platform to be able to talk a little bit more about uh, the debate itself and uh, things that, points that they wish that they could have made. So uh, the point is not to get, you know, and obviously it'd be more with, with uh, Chris than it would with Jim uh, because we disagree with Chris, but uh, it, it would be more of a debate if, uh, if we allowed it to be, and, and I just don't want him to feel like that. Now, I will say this. Chris... The gentleman who was uh, who basically took up the side that Christians should not be keeping the Sabbath, uh, he is not afraid of debate. There is no doubt about it. He's very outspoken. He's a you know from I don't know him personally, and actually I wasn't aware of him until I saw the debate. Which, by the way, you can go and see on YouTube right now if you want to. It's uploaded on YouTube. It's two hours long, and if you want to search for it, you can put in Jim Staley 
Sabbath, and it'll be one of the top hits on YouTube. You can watch the whole thing there. It was a good debate. I will say that. I, I enjoyed the whole thing. Uh, but back to Chris. Chris is not a person to shy away from, from debate, and uh, he's very outspoken. And I appreciate that about him because I myself am somewhat like that. Uh, so I, I understand you know, where he's coming from. Uh, not on his point, though, because I do disagree with him. Obviously, I think we should be keeping the Sabbath. And so does uh, Jim Staley. So without further ado, uh, so with us today is Jim Staley. Jim Staley is a husband, a father, and a pastor. He is also the director of Passion for Truth Ministries in St. Charles, Missouri. Last Saturday, Jim took on Chris Roseboro in a debate titled, Should Christians Keep the Sabbath? Thank you so much for joining us, Jim. We really appreciate it. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Is it okay if I call you Jim? That's fine. All right. Hey, uh, so I, I want to ask first, I want to let you uh, kind of set up for us uh, Passion for Truth. Uh, tell us a little bit about Passion for Truth. I know you guys have kind of stayed away from the uh, the label Hebrew Roots. I want to know how you did that because I want to I stay away from that title too. Yeah, you know, Passion for Truth, uh, my journey has started back in 2002. And it's been a very long 12 years uh, journey, but it's been fast at the same time. Uh, as the speed continues to get to, to move forward. But basically, I started out as a Christian apologist in a local non-denominational church and had a very supernatural experience that brought me into, uh, at the beginning, at the Hebraic roots of my faith. We started a Bible study just teaching, you know, things as I would learn them, and uh, my grandfather in Kansas City asked if we could put put together a website and record things, and so we did, and the next thing we know... Uh, four years later, we had uh, th- you know 300,000 views on YouTube and thousands of people watching their live stream every week. And so, uh, God's just really given us a, a platform to get His message out there and uh, begin to challenge uh, Christianity. To hey, let's let's look back at the roots of our faith. And so, as we started off in the Hebrew Roots movement, there was no other movement uh, at the time. And uh, and then as we began to just uh, kind of float around that movement, we began to realize that we were kind of the ugly duckling in the movement. We were uh, we believed in the spiritual gifts. Uh, we, you know, we believed in healings and and the, and the spiritual realm, and and that kind of really distanced us uh, from um, from most of the Hebrews movement. And so God uh, laid it on my heart in an amazing way, a very supernatural way, that uh, He wanted to move us into what He wanted to call the Christian Roots movement. And um, and so we uh, we took our cameras to test this out down in uh, St. Charles uh, Main Street, asked random people uh, with a camera in their face, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear Hebrew Roots Movement? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear Christian Roots Movement? And the response uh, is on our, our YouTube channel. It's amazing that people absolutely, matter of fact, one person said, sounds like an alternative name for a revival. Another person said, this is the, the teachings of Jesus before all the fluff was added. And so when, when the term Christian roots is used with regular Christians, they already know what it means. We don't have to explain it to them, which gives us a platform to be able to speak in their life and ask them good questions. So this debate of should Christians keep the Sabbath is simply one of those questions that we have now realized is uh, is really important and very interesting. Uh, people are interested in this topic. So um, you talked about the spiritual gifts. I, I just want to get a little background so that our, our listeners know maybe a little bit more where you're coming from. Would you say that you came out of a Pentecostal background? No, not at all. Actually, it's ironic. I had no grid for the you know, in the past for the supernatural. I started out Catholic, and my whole family was Catholic. I was an altar boy up to the sixth grade. And um, it was only from that point on, uh, my parents pulled us out of Catholic school. My mom, my grandmother got saved during the the Catholic Charismatic Revival. My mom was right behind that. And um, we pretty much floated around uh, with the non-denominational churches until I settled when I was married uh, into one for over a decade. And, uh, but it was very, very conservative. They didn't have the spiritual, they didn't believe in spiritual gifts or it wasn't an operation. I never saw a miracle most of my whole life. Uh, until really, um, until Passion for Truth, when, when mm-hmm. everything started really kicking in gear and the prophetic and words of knowledge and healings began to happen. Um, so it's cr- I'm still in the process of creating that grid. Even when sometimes I pray for somebody and, and God does decide to heal them, I'm surprised still. So mm-hmm. I, I still don't understand everything, but it's an exciting journey. 
You bet. Okay, so let's let's move a little bit now towards the debate. Um, I I watched the in uh, the debate in, in its entirety, and uh, I thought you did an excellent job. Uh, I thought you represented the the view of Sabbatarians, as as uh, Sabbath keepers sometimes are called. Uh, so, how was the d- debate set up? Did you uh, did you give Chris uh, some of the questions that you were going to ask him? Did you see his questions first, or did you guys go in completely blind? Is a completely blind debate. Wow, that's that's actually impressive to me because you seem to. Uh, it seemed to me like you were prepared for uh, some of the church father uh, bullets that he <laughs> that he shot at you. Uh, wh- how, did you know that he was going to uh, rest heavily on the church fathers? Well, you know, I will tell you this: I have never ever spent as much time preparing for something in my entire life than this debate. I, I pulled just a week of the debate. I pulled three all-nighters till five or six o'clock in the morning, and and um, and I wanted to know. I'm a very meticulous person, so I don't want to go into debate uh, blindsided by anything. So I researched so many things to find out what is everything he's ever going to bring. And the church fathers, I just had a feeling, because I pretended uh, that I was on his side, and I, how would I formulate my argument? That would have been the number one thing I would have brought, even though it's a faulty argument, and, and he certainly went right there. And so I had already planned that if he brought up, uh, I had an entire document called Church Fathers. So no matter what church father he quoted from, I had an ulterior quote, uh, alternative quote from that church father to show the anti-Semitism, and, and he fell right into it. It was uh, almost as if he he was seeing the ball up for me. So uh, you know, I'm I'm I actually got a shot list of questions here in front of me, but I don't want to leave Rob out. Rob, if you have anything that you want to add or any questions that you might have, jump in, man. Uh, sure, sure. <laughs> I, I want to make sure that I'm not pushing you out here. Okay, so um, then on the. I guess one of the things that I think is in any debate, usually when people walk away from debates, each side thinks that they kind of won. Each side says, yeah, you know, our, our side did it. He prevailed. Um, and it seems like within the Messianic movement, the Hebrew Roots movement, and even just the Christians who are keeping Sabbath, everyone's, uh, you know, raising the victory banner, as it were. And then I go over to look at uh, Chris's website and, and some of the things that uh, those people are, are saying as well. And uh, it looks like they're kind of saying that Chris won the, won the debate. Uh, how do you personally feel the debate went? And, who, and do you think there was a, a clear winner? Or how, how do you view that? Well, it's it's difficult for me because I, I will fully admit that I'm I'm biased uh, mm-hmm. towards Jim Staley, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I will say that there are demarcations of of how you determine who wins debates, and and it and it's not based on party lines; it's based on the facts. And so, during the debate, if I was a commentator and we had professional commentators breaking down the debate, and I was one of those commentators, what I, what you look for when you determine who wins or loses the debate is, did the uh, opposing uh, team, if you will, uh, did they address the opening contentions and the opening statements? And so when, when a party brings up a point, did the other debater address that point and eliminate that point? And so if you were to stack up, it's really a teeter-totter on winning debates, is you stack up your contentions on one side, your opponent stacks up his on the other side, and you start off with that being completely equal. Through the debate, a good debater, to determine whether he wins or not, is supposed to take the contentions, deal with those contentions, and remove them off of his side of the teeter-totter, uh, with, you know, which makes the other person's heavier. And so um, I personally believe uh, and look uh, on the facts that Chris did not ever address my contentions, not a single time. And his contentions, or his number one contention of the Church Fathers, was dealt with uh, completely. And so, and the scriptures that he brought up with, every single scripture he brought up, I removed his contention of that scripture by explaining the real meaning behind that, all the way down to when he addressed Colossians 2, 14 and 16, he gave me like five minutes to explain it, and he didn't even disagree with me. He just simply said, if your uh, interpretation is correct. So I think if it was actually uh, diagrammed out, there's not a single contention that he brought up that I don't believe that I addressed 
uh, outside of some that, that I couldn't get to because of time constraints. But every contention I had, he never addressed. I'm actually going to move. Uh, I, ha- I have a question that kind of relates to that same thing, but I'm going to move uh, because you're talking about Scripture that he brought up. And I, I want to talk about his misquotation of, uh, of, well, basically a bunch of different places in Hebrews in his, in his uh, opening remarks. He brought up several different passages in Hebrews, and uh, when he did so, he quoted from the English, leaving the word covenant in uh, some of those places where the Greek clearly does not have the word covenant. And uh, I was wondering, did you catch that? And uh, if so, why didn't you speak to it? Yeah, there were several things. Now, uh, when he did his opening statement, I was writing as fast as I could <laughs> because he, he was burning through these scriptures without explaining them, which is totally unfair. Uh, a decent strategy, but not very good to convince people because he didn't spend any time on them. I, I'll be honest, I did not catch the covenant one because I was probably busy uh, writing the verse or the uh, the scripture reference down and trying to formulate my response and wh- where do I want to even start mm-hmm. uh, on the. But there was one that I did catch that he completely uh, added his own uh, annotation uh, in the scripture itself, and so because I did because I knew this one particular scripture by heart and he actually misquoted it and added his own commentary as if it was part of the Scripture, it wouldn't surprise me if he did that on other Scriptures that I didn't catch. Well, I'm referring to, you know, basically every single uh, English translation uh, in in the book of Hebrews, like, uh, Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, is at the end of 7, 7.13, is that right, or is it 8.13? Anyway, uh, you know, it says uh, uh, the, the word covenant is supplied by, by your English translators. Uh, it's a nice little present that a lot of people, you know, if you're reading the Greek, it's, it's just not there. So anyway, okay, let's, let's get back That's to... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so, um, so let's get back to... Hang on just a second. I'm looking at... Yeah, okay, so 8.13, here it is. Uh, when it says new, and that's where they suppl- that's where they put in uh, covenant. I'm sorry, I was looking up this scripture. Uh, when it says new, and uh, then they put in covenant, uh, but that's not actually in the Greek, it makes the first obsolete, and if something is old and outdated, it's close to disappearing. And uh, in my opinion, you know, Chris used that to say, see, the old covenant is now passing, passing away. And uh, he used yeah. that, that scripture. Absolutely. And what he doesn't understand is that this is a contract. I would actually agree with him that the new covenant, uh, when it says, you know, a new covenant, he's made the first obsolete. I believe the translators actually you know, did the right thing in adding the word covenant, and here's why, because it doesn't change the, 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 uh, the, the end result. Mm. Whenever you change a single word in a legal document, it's brand new. It is not renewed. It's brand spanking new according to legal verbiage. And the mistake that most theologians in, in academia or even in Christianity that they make is just because it says a new covenant, they make the assumption based on American lingo that when something's new, something's old, it's completely thrown out, uh, that this is contractual language. So when there's a new covenant, it doesn't mean that the entire old covenant is done away with. It means that you cannot use the old covenant uh, the way that it stands as a legal binding contract, you have to find out what was changed in that covenant that made it brand new, and what was changed was the high priesthood. So, uh, so th- this is the, the that real I would agree with you on for sure. How that works? Yeah, I'd, I definitely agree with you that uh, you know in, in in the Hebrew passage in question, he's definitely talking about the priesthood for sure. Um, so now we're talking about the new covenant a little bit, and actually, I want to. Uh, I'm sure I know that you've seen this video. There's a video going around on YouTube and. Uh, it's. I'm sure it's people from the uh, Hebrew Roots movement, or the or people who, at least who are keeping Sabbath. I don't know. Maybe it was actually someone in your organization. Uh, pro- probably not. Let's not start that rumor. But somebody made a uh, a video. The video basically consists of one part, uh, about a minute and thirty seconds of. Uh, the uh, debate, and the person who made this video titled it The Point When Staley Won the Debate. I'm going to play this for you. I'm going to play this uh, soundbite for you. Bear with me. It is a minute and 30 seconds long, and then uh, I'm going to have you comment on, on it. Okay, here we go. Then what do you say, that, uh, Chris, is the definition of sin? Definition of sin is to transgress God's law. Okay, uh, so would you agree then if someone breaks the Sabbath that they're transgressing the law? If you are an Israelite under Torah, absolutely. Okay, so so you're saying that the Sabbath is only given to Israel? Absolutely. Okay, so I thought we just established that uh, that Jesus said 
uh, in Mark chapter 2 that the Sabbath was made for man. And, as, and, as, and, and also, Paul says that the entire world is guilty before God. Can't be guilty of breaking something that is not for them. Are you going to make more statements? You can let me ask, are you going to ask me a question? Here's my next question. I'd like to answer your question, actually. Is it against the law for Gentiles to keep the Sabbath? Is it against the law for Gentiles to keep the Sabbath? That's kind of a category error. Well, you said that the, that the law was only given to Israel. So is it against the law for the Gentiles to keep the Sabbath? No, if a Gentile wants to become an Israelite and uh, live under the ordinance of Israel, they're, they're free to do that. So is, is the, is the coven, you're saying that the covenant of God was given to Israel? That's correct. Okay. Who was the new covenant given to? Uh, the whole world. But we're grafted into Israel. Okay, so then you are Israel. Yes, I, of course, I'm grafted into Israel. I'm a, I am a walla, wild olive branch grafted into okay. spiritual Israel. So if you are grafted into Israel, that means you're part of the Israel covenant of which you just said that the Sabbath was given to. Say that again. And, of course, you hear the uh, the crowd kind of snicker at that in the background. Do you think it's fair that to say that that's the point, uh, Jim, that you won, quote-unquote, won the debate? No, that certainly wasn't our organization. We would uh, we would never do that. Uh, someone uh, creatively, uh, you know, that was their own their own thought process. So an individual thought that that was the point where, uh, you know, I won the debate. Uh, those are I, I would definitely say that was a highlight of the debate where Chris cornered himself and didn't realize what he was saying. Um, matter of fact, it's my uh, thought. That he told me before the debate, I had a two-hour conversation with him, that he had watched Identity Crisis and did a critique over it. And I personally believe, because there's very few theologians out there, and even Christians at all, that believe that they are part of Israel, uh, I believe that he watched Identity Crisis, and I believe that he actually agreed with my uh, uh, presuppositions on that but did not think through the theology of the significance of what that means, that if you believe that you are part of Israel, you're subject to the covenants of promise, which is where I was going with that uh, particular part of the debate. So in a way, that was a heavy win in the debate. I don't think it makes the entire debate won by me, but I think it was a big win, because if I could get Chris to admit on his own that he's part of Israel, then by default he's subject to the covenants of promise that Romans uh, and Ephesians 2 talks about, and the Sabbath is clearly part of those covenants of promise in the New Covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and and actually, for our listeners, I don't want to. I don't want listeners to think that uh, that Chris didn't actually try to answer that at some point. He did kind of stumble and ask uh, ask Jim to uh, to to restate the question, uh, but then he he did come up with an answer. Uh, on, you know, on the spot. One thing that I noticed about that that uh, question, and actually, I. I uh, uh, I don't know if you know this, Jim, but we're actually going to be talking to Chris next week on our show. Uh, so I'm kind of putting some questions into my head. But one of the questions that I have about that clip is, Does do you think that Chris actually uh, believes that Jews, J- Jewish descendants or descendants from Jacob today should be keeping the Sabbath? Or do you think that he, he believes that no one should be keeping the Sabbath? Well, that's a good question that you can ask him, because I, I don't think he's thought through. Like I said, when he says that he's you know part of Israel, I don't think that he's thought through that. And that's one really good question I wish I would have asked, which is, you know, you can ask him on your program, is do you believe that the Jewish people today should be keeping Sabbath? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would be a great question. But the, where I would like to have gone, <clears throat> if I had more time with this, is to flush that out and ask him, you know, the question, okay, Chris, you believe that you're spiritual Israel. According to Romans chapter 11, uh, when you're the wild olive branch that you said that you're a part of is grafted into the olive tree, it says right there that you are, that you are now citizens of the household of Israel and subject to the covenants of promise, which is a direct quotation from the Abrahamic covenant uh, and the Mosaic covenant. So, so if you're part of the Mosaic Covenant and the Abraham Covenant, which the Sabbath is a part of, wouldn't you say that Paul is clearly given in Romans chapter 11 instructions for his new believers that are now citizens to start keeping the covenant? And, um, and of which he's going to uh, certainly say no. Uh, the other question I wish I would have asked is he had said that the Sabbath was part of the commandments of God that Jesus gave uh, to the man who said, how can I enter eternal life? And he admitted that Jesus was definitely telling him to keep Sabbath as part of the commandments to enter eternal life. 
my next question that I wish I would have asked would have been, so do you believe that Jesus only meant for him to do that for the next two weeks before he died? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> So, because clearly uh, that w- that gentleman lived past the death of, of Messiah, and, and so mm-hmm. uh, you're going to you're basically saying with your theology, Chris, that you're, that Jesus's theology of salvation uh, or following him was only good for a few more weeks or a few more months, <clears throat> and then it's completely different. Would, don't you think that's unfair for Jesus to tell that young man something that would not be true in just a few short months? Mm-hmm. So you, you, you're already you're already actually kind of answering the next question that you you fell right into it perfectly. But uh, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do was kind of give you a platform to be able to you know to talk about things that you either didn't have time to talk about, or maybe uh, you know, was there anything that you said that you look back now and you, you think, man, I wish I would have said that a little differently, or you know, or or even was there? And I know most people wouldn't like to admit this, but was there ever a time where Chris said something and you thought, oh man, how am I going to answer that? Like, that's a good point. I'm not trying to be funny, but no. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for that moment. I, I will be honest with you, kind of a little behind the scenes, Jim Staley, on this debate. When we first asked Chris to do this, <clears throat> he didn't even pause. He, he accepted it so fast that, I'll be honest, it made me nervous. Mm-hmm. Because I thought, man, he's so giddy through this whole pre-debate on his, on his blog and Facebook and so on and so forth. I thought, man, if he has something that I've just never heard of, how could he be this excited to do this? And so I was waiting. I was very nervous uh, during the cross-examination after mine because I really thought, I mean, he's, th- this is the, the time during a debate on a cross-examination that you can really put the screws to someone and really humiliate them. Mm-hmm. And um, I had my cross-examination ready to go, but I didn't know what he was going to do. And he really, his cross-examination would, ended up better than my own cross-examination <laughs> uh, from my perspective on how uh, my uh, side did. And so, uh, no, there was not a single thing he brought up that shocked me, surprised me, that I, I didn't feel like I was prepared for. The only thing I wasn't prepared for was the lack of time. The mm-hmm. time just really got away, which causes your brain to scramble, and it was difficult for me in, in a couple of spots. So. Um, but there was a lot of things that I didn't get to that I, I really felt like um, the audience really needed to hear. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Rob, are you uh, you still good? You 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 want to jump in here? Yeah, I just really how uh, I didn't have an opportunity to watch the debate in its entirety, but I did uh, kind of use the that someone created the nice index there on the, at least the YouTube site that I saw, so you could kind of go to that portion and watch a few minutes to get the feel, you know, for those that don't have time to, to watch the, the debate in its entirety. But I really appreciated, Jim, your passion. I think your ministry is aptly named. Um, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. passion comes about. You've been gifted with, uh, with the ability to articulate thoughts in a very clear and uh, concise manner that um, obviously you're, you're speaking to a lot of people and they're, they're able to understand and, and track um, what you're uh, uh, presenting to them, and I think that's that. This debate is just another place where you've uh, been given an opportunity to sharpen your sword all the more, and and hopefully the same for Chris as well. You know, I I'm a little bit, you know, I must say a little bit. Uh, you know, debate is not uh, something I would run to, and I imagine it's probably not something you'd run to either. I know there's there's a time for that sort of thing, and um, but I, there's a bit of discomfort personally that I feel when having to confront another believer right a, a brother um about something just because i've i've done it wrong so many times <laughs> you know there's so many times i've i've been zealous for the wrong thing and so um you know over the years i think i've been tempered down uh, about which which battles uh, are really the ones that need to be uh, fought at least from where i'm standing but i can appreciate you know we're all we're a multi-membered body of messiah and so um, but I, 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 you know, I say praise God for for the passion um, and the skill that the Lord's blessed you with to to do this type of thing, and also with the skill to create the videos and to get the the message out there like you have. I, mm-hmm. I just uh, I think that's a, a wonderful blessing to those who are uh, who are able to 
digest information through that media. Well, and and actually speaking, uh, uh, you know, speaking a little bit to that point, uh, Jim, when. Do you think that that Chris was maybe at a little bit of a disadvantage, seeing as though Passion for Truth is the one who hosted the debate, and it, and I can only assume uh, that the the majority of the people sitting in the audience were were supporters of of Passion for Truth and or Sabbath keepers. Uh, do you think that that put him at a little bit of a you know gave you a, a at home advantage and put him at a little bit of a disadvantage? Well, I mean, that's in the eye of the beholder. For me personally, it, it would have been the same if I was uh, in his uh, hometown. My uh, points would not have changed. The way I articulated it wouldn't have changed. Um, you know, one iota. For me, it doesn't matter. Now, now, for him, that's a question that he feel that he was at a disadvantage. I think the information uh, and the way that we had prepared for the debate was going to be the same no matter where we were. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's nice to be in my own office and walk up to the podium. Uh, so <laughs> from that, it was more comfortable. Yeah. And and when the debate ended, uh, you know, I saw I, at the end, of, you know, on the YouTube video, you can see that you go over and, and you guys kind of shake hands. Did you have a chance to talk to to Chris after the debate? What what was the tone of the of those kind of uh, you know that that conversation? And how did he feel the debate went from your point of view? Do you think that he he felt like uh, it was fair and, and well received? Yeah, I mean, I, he had nothing but good things to say about just uh, presentation and the production and the way that it was put together. And and uh, like I said, we talked for well over two hours and had lunch together that afternoon, and we got to know each other. And, and um, he was pleasantly shocked uh, that I was not in the Hebrews movement, and I gave him my entire testimony and uh, very much said he wanted to keep in contact and continue this dialogue. He was very intrigued. He's a very, very smart guy, one of the smartest guys I've met. As very very intelligent, knows uh, a lot about the Semitic languages, um, and he really tried to to pigeonhole me. One, he wanted to find a category uh, that that he could put me into, and he said he's been studying me for months uh, and listening to tons of my, my material, figure out my style and which direction I went. And it was kind of funny because I was grabbing a, a turkey sandwich, and 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 I said, "Well, I got to I got to admit, I said I've had no time to study you at all. I feel now underprepared because this is the first time I've even heard your voice." <laughs> and uh, and he laughed, and he said, "Well, no, actually, he didn't laugh. He said, are you serious? He said, are you you're going into this debate totally blind? You don't know anything about me or how I speak or my where I'm coming from or anything?' I said, "No, brother, I." I don't, you know, and I said, should be fun. <laughs> and uh, and I found out later that I think that comment made him a little nervous. He wasn't sure. He'd never heard of anybody going into a debate that had no idea anything about their opponent. Uh, but I felt like I don't need to. I mean, I know my dollar bill so well I can point out, uh, you know, a counterfeit and – it doesn't really matter what his style is, but mm-hmm. um, you know it was it was a good debate, and I and I hope he felt comfortable. So uh, I guess I, I basically only have one more, or well, two more questions really. But you know, t- talking about him, uh, looking at you and and studying, you know, kind of who, who you were and those kind of things. It seemed at one point he was trying to kind of back you into a quarter, uh, alluding to you uh, making prophecy. Uh, now I can only assume that he's he's uh, he was talking about perhaps. Perhaps the about you on your on the Passion for Truth website. Uh, you talk about a supernatural experience as you have on on our show and uh, as you did at the debate, even. Um, and I can I can I, I personally don't know. I haven't looked into it, so I'm I'm just guessing that that's what he was alluding to. Uh, but clear this up for me. Uh, I mean, have you ever uh, claimed to be a prophet or to uh, ha- you know have you ever attached the words "Thus saith the Lord" to, to something that you're teaching? No, where he's actually getting that from um, is that during the conversation that we had over lunch, I knew what he was doing, and I didn't mind. Um, He was asking me lots of questions. I don't believe altruistically. He was trying to get some more something juicy that he could use for the debate. And um, and I I actually gave him my testimony uh, in all the details of how I came into the Hebraic understanding and... and, um, in uh, a vision and a dream that I had, and 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 uh, just some really amazing, cool stuff that, that I think is on our website. But in any case, so what he was doing there was actually, in my opinion, a very low blow because he was taking a personal conversation of my testimony and trying to make it look like 
that uh, that I I was calling myself some prophet, and I think also he the Lutheran denomination does not believe that prophecy exists for today, which is why he started off with Daniel chapter nine and prophecies sealed and so on and so mm-hmm, forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think he has a clear understanding of the difference between a role of a prophet, which I am not, and the gift of prophecy that many believers have. Actually, I believe all believers have, just at, at certain different levels. Some of some people might have a stronger gift in that area. And so I think that's why he quickly backed off of that, but he was actually getting away from the debate and doing a personal attack, a very creative personal attack, which I didn't think was very fair, and it certainly uh, backfired on him and it didn't work. So um, I was a little disappointed at that he would he tried to do that. So the last question I have, and, may, and I'm going to give uh, Rob the the chance after I ask this question to to maybe follow up with any questions or or anything like that. But uh, the last question I have is, what else should we expect to see from Passion from Truth, a Passion for Truth, uh, in regards to debate? Are, are you guys planning more of these kind of debates? And if so, uh, what what topics are you thinking about? Well, we're just going to let the Lord lead on this. Um, you know, how this whole thing started out was not uh, to have a, a big debate at all. Uh, I, was, I needed to redo my Sabbath teaching uh, to update it and to make it 16.9 and HD and new content. And I just thought it would be really cool on uh, the second disc, that's <clears throat> something in my throat, excuse me, on the second disc to have a debate. And so I just kind of wanted a very informal debate, and then this thing just spiraled out of control into what it has uh, been today. And uh, and so from here, we do know that there were some of the top uh, Christian apologists in the country uh, were watching this debate. And, uh, and, and one of them, uh, I can't say the name on air, but one of them said, who's probably in the top five, uh, said they cannot believe that this has never been done before and that this is going to be a really historic debate. Mm-hmm. And so from this debate, uh, it's very possible that other debates will happen, mm-hmm. maybe even on the same subject. Um, and, uh, and, but, you know, I'm open for, for other debates like this with, with Christians. The hard part, I believe, is that when you, at least coming from some of uh, people that work here at PFT and, and go here, that from their perspective, the debate went so well and that we won so hands down that it's going to be difficult for other people to want to debate <laughs> on, the, on the subject. Uh, I don't believe that's going to be the case. I believe it's going to be very, very uh, possible uh, for other debates. But I also know from the, the highest points of academia on this subject, the, lar- the best debaters the points that we made uh, on our side, I believe, were so uh, strong that the intellectuals are going to notice all of those points. They're not going to be like the regular Christian, just go down party line and say, oh, Chris, you won the debate, or Jim, you won the debate. They're really going to look at the details, and they're going to see there's a lot of merit for this. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's going to make uh, make it difficult uh, to have a, a larger debate than what we just had. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob, is there anything that you want to finish off with? No, well, just with the comment that uh, on that note, uh, Jim, to encourage you in that direction, I think that because of the noise of the Internet and the the kind of unrestrained access that people have to the library of the world, to everybody's idea who has the, the resources to put something that they think online, and um, has, this has created a, a major problem. I think of it as like the flooding of of our minds with uh, potentially just so much junk that nobody knows which way's up. They're literally drowning in a sea of information, and they have no skill or anchor um, apart from the truth of the scriptures. And um, given that environment in our media, I think that this format uh, that uh, you've you know demonstrated with, with this debate about the Shabbat. Um, and potentially with other subjects, um, is a way to help kind of steer people to think through mm-hmm. things a little, to be a little more rigorous in their methodology. That's what we need. We need uh, believers in Yeshua to to take ownership for their intellect, their God-given intellect, and to pursue uh, the truth and to, uh, but but also I think we need help pushing through some of these uh, 
uh, fuzzy areas, areas where there's just so much noise on the Internet. People, you know, they quote this website or that website, and they haven't really uh, had a concentrated presentation of both sides of an argument, say. And, and I think this was a good example of that. Even having not seen the, the entire debate, I, I know that this is a good example of that. And mm-hmm. I think yesterday when I checked, I think it was might have been over 7,000 views, at least on the one uh, version I saw. There could be other versions out there, too. Yeah, it's know. actually at 9,000 right now, and we just released our official one um, this afternoon or this morning. And uh, and so it, it'll be going out. And Joseph Farah, his comment on stage, if anybody wants to know what he was talking to me about, uh, he whispered in my ear, he said, Jim, this is historic. This is going to have millions of views in the next few years. And he said, you won the debate hands down. Mm-hmm. So that was a little behind the, the scenes of what Joseph Farah had said. And, and I did actually, on the back end of the debate, uh, we added an annotation to another video of about 20 minutes of, uh, of slides uh, of, of things I didn't get to get to to really show people historically where things went wrong and why Sunday even exists today. And, um, and it's very fascinating. And people will even learn that the famous St. Patrick from St. Patrick's Day uh, was neither Irish nor Catholic. Mm-hmm. He was a Celtic Christian that actually kept the Shabbat. A lot of fascinating things that I didn't get to um, that really kind of drive this whole point home, that uh, the early Christians, this whole thing was a major debate for the last 1,500 years. This wasn't like Chris tried to make it. As soon as Jesus died, everybody started keeping Shabbat on Sunday. Not at all. It was very much evolved over a time, and it was a debate between the Eastern Christians who kept the Sabbath like the disciples and the Roman Western Christians that kept the Sabbath like the, the Romans uh, and that debate went on for well over a thousand years. People were dying for keeping the Shabbat. The Shabbat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I demonstrated that just from the scriptures and Acts and all the way through uh, to the time of the Reformation. And uh, and I'll have another teaching coming on called uh, The Sabbath, Is It For Today?, that we're going to be filming next week in the studio, and it should be available you know, in June. So where I'm going to take my time and go through all the details of everything I never got to get to and those that I did get to and really kind of spell this whole thing out and hopefully uh, give people some really serious pause to take a look. Well, hey, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to be with us, Jim. We really do appreciate it. Congratulations again on, on uh, the debate. I thought it went very well for you, and uh, we we're all – very happy that it went well for you. Uh, as people who ourselves believe that the Sabbath is an act today, uh, it's encouraging to see uh, other uh, believers in the Lord uh, coming to that understanding and then standing up for the truth. And uh, so a big thank you to you, Jim. And we will be right back after this. You're listening to The Rob and Caleb Show. That's right. You are listening to The Rob and Caleb Show. Hey, once again, I want to say a big thank you to uh, Jim Staley for coming on the show with us and also to Passion for Truth, not only for hosting that debate, which I thought went really well, but also uh, for uh, giving us Jim Staley for the time that they did. I know that he's a very busy person. Uh, it was a little bit difficult to get our schedules uh, aligned so that we could actually uh, record this show for y'all. And uh, so be- because Jim is just so busy, and I, and I understand that, I, I, uh, I appreciate him taking the time to, uh, to talk to us. So, uh, Rob, wh- what were your general thoughts about what uh, Jim said? I mean, was there anything that really stood out to you? No, I think he did a great job. I think uh, he's been gifted with a a great way to communicate his ideas. You know, yeah. he's got a his passion. Like I said uh, in our interview, um, rightly uh, part of the name of their ministry, um, just really does capture. You know, that word passion captures what I get in terms of just his tone and his excitement, enthusiasm. 
for the word. Well, you know, there's something else that's going on right now as well with with uh, with us, Rob and Caleb. That is, um, and you know, maybe we can talk a little bit about this because I brought and I'm going to ask Chris this question uh, next week. Uh, the person who Jim debated in, uh, last Saturday. And that was the question uh, I brought it up to, to Jim. And the question is, do you believe that, uh, you know, uh, Jewish people or people who are physically descended from Jacob should be keeping the Sabbath right now? And actually, Rob and I are kind of dealing with uh, looking at some of the things online that are going on. There is quite the the debate raging in different circles uh, and whatnot about whether or not uh, Jewish people need to be keeping the Shabbat and the Torah in general. And some people are actually saying that the Torah is only for Jews. The physical commands of Torah are only for Jews. And so that one of the one of the uh, lines of thought is that uh, the physical parts of the Torah, like keeping kosher, zitzit, um, keeping the Sabbath, uh, keeping the festivals. These things are only for the physical descendants of Jacob. And that Gentiles not only aren't commanded to keep them, but that they shouldn't. And the reason why is because they are only there to set the Jewish people, the, the descendants of Jacob, apart from uh, from the rest of the world uh, as God's chosen people. What I mean, let's talk about that for a few seconds. Um, you know, if we're going to be asking Chris this question, you know, do you believe that Jews today, and I, I'm going to guess that he's going to say no, they, they shouldn't, but... Um, and maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe he'll say, yes, they should. But uh, I'm going to guess he's 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 not going to go that route. But if he did say that, what would be the implications and what would be the problems with that, Rob? Yeah, that's just to back up, that's a really good point, uh, an aspect to this larger conversation that um, the debate did not uh, kind of expand into that territory. It, it kind of stayed in one little area on the map. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the there's an entirely different field to this um, geography, I guess, of this argument is um, uh, regarding the Shabbat and the problem that some streams of, of uh, rabbinic tradition resist and want to say that uh, the Shabbat is only for um, uh, Israel mm-hmm. and that uh, Christians, you know, if they're, if they're not Jews, according to rabbinic definition, they have no business keeping the the Shabbat, mm-hmm. um, and so that obviously, you know, this debate that uh, between Jim and Chris was seems to have been more for uh, a Christian audience that might not be familiar with all the intricacies there. Um, but um, in any event, yeah, that that's uh, you know one of the places you know thinking back to um, the debate. One of the excerpts that I did see is where Chris. Uh, takes issue with Jim's reading of Mark 2, this word anthropos, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where Yeshua says the Shabbat was made for anthropos, not uh, anthropos for the Shabbat. And he wants to argue and say, oh, you know, uh, anthropos. Now, I didn't see if Chris ever expounds why he disagrees with Jim on that word, but I, I imagine he wants to say that that's only uh, Jews or, or something like this. Um but if you just look at the word anthropos used in the Gospel of Mark, um, you know, it's it's clear that anthropos means more than, than just the Jewish people. Just Jews. And not only that, I think Yeshua has in mind Isaiah 56, you know, where um, it says, you know, um, uh, blessed is, is the man who does this, the son of man who clings to it. Well, in, uh, and then it goes, Shomer Shabbat, um, uh, Mechalelo, which means uh, who guards the Shabbat from profaning it, uh, and then Shomer Yado, Masot Kolra, and keeps his hand from doing evil, and then goes on to say, uh, let not the foreigner say, you know, and let not the eunuch say, mm-hmm. you know, that I've been separated. And then he, time and time again, Yeshiahu, the prophet, writes in about these clearly non-Israelites by, by, uh, genetics <laughs> that are drawn to Hashem and are clinging to the Shabbat and clinging for just for the love of his name, not for any, you know, they're not looking for reward or anything like that. That says that they just, um, in verse six, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. And that these are 
non-Israelites. These are not these aren't lost tribes of Israel. You know, these are not uh, um, Jews making teshuva. You know, these are non-ethnic. You know, these are goyim. So is that is that the and, argument? And, well, I just wanted to point out that that, and this is a core scripture for Yeshua. This is the scripture that Yeshua is crying out in the temple as he's knocking over these tables, <laughs> chasing people around. Yeah. And and he says, my house is a house of prayer for all nations. And you know what? It says for their olot, their burnt offerings, and their zevachim, their fellowship mm, offerings, mm-hmm. will be accepted on my altar. Well, that's Leviticus 1, is the, ol, is the olah, the mm-hmm, burnt offering. Mm-hmm. And the, the zevach is Leviticus 3. These are not just for Israel. Yeah. And Yeshua, and in this context, if we look at the Septuagint, the Septuagint there for uh, Isaiah 56, verse 2, has aner and anthropos, and then goes on to clarify that these, you know, this uh, we're talking about anthropos here, but we're not talking about Jews. So um, the Shabbat is uh, made for man. I very much am in agreement with Chris, uh, with uh, Jim on this one, and I think Chris. It's another area where Chris um, has brought some unquestioned assumptions to the table. Mm-hmm. That uh, I hope that he'll have an opportunity to to go back and grow in this area. I know we all have our areas where where we need um, we need to have these little sparring matches with with our brothers in order to uh, have you know get checked maybe on places where we're uh, we haven't like Jim said thought it all the way through. And I think you know if Baruch Hashem if this debate you know I, my first. And my first uh, response is one of like discomfort, like, you know, it's debate just seems to be kind of a, is that really going to help the body? But I, I see in the situation we're in with the flood of information on the internet, with the popularity of things like YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and that just the flooding of all sorts of uh, types of doctrines, that debate is a good way to concentrate on one topic, have uh in just a short amount of time, have a lot of that information competently gathered and presented for both sides. I think that will help us move to a new level of mm-hmm. clarity and, like I was saying, you know, intellectual honesty. Um, one of the things, you know, I, if I were just to quibble, you know, just thinking back on our interview with Jim today, is his use of the word anti-Semitism. And I think he used it uh, in the debate as well. Uh, anti-Semitism is a new term. You know, I, I that's it's from the, like the 19th century, and it has a very specific historical uh, emergence, you know, and usage. And so, uh, I p- prefer to use uh, like anti-Judaism or try to find um, maybe another word that uh, doesn't project too much of the 19th, 20th century uh, forms of anti-Semitism back into the first century. Um, so I would just quibble and, and try to encourage him to describe the uh, anti-Torah or, or you know, I, I'm not, maybe it's not good for me to, to quibble with him if I don't have a, an alternative. But I would say, like, for example, I think it was, uh, who wrote uh, Against the Jews? I, it was one of the church fathers. That would be Luther. No, I mean, like, way back. I think Tertullian. Um Adversus you die. Ah, so yes, yes, what, yes. Um, so, so I, um, that to use, try to find terminology from the church fathers themselves and try to use their terms. That's right. Uh, uh, no, no, uh, hang on. Just anchor I, our, I, so our listeners. I got to, I got to correct myself now since I'm the guy who who likes church history. Uh, Luther uh, wrote against the Jews and their lies is what Luther wrote. Right. And uh, I think you're right. I could be wrong. I'll, I'd have to look into it, but I think you're right. Tertullian might have been the one who wrote against But I mean, the way Jews. back, there's, there's yeah. a, you know, a really good book, too, um, if anybody is interested, um, I, would, I would encourage, just on that topic, and, you know, maybe Pastor Jim would be willing to read it, is Paula Friedrichsen's book, um, oh, what's it called? Augustine and the Jews. Um, it's fair, it's, been out just for two years or now, but she does a good job. She uh, traces this rise of this anti-Judaic uh, polemic, 
and even shows how in some of the early church fathers, you know, they're taught they have this anti-Judaic uh, polemic in their conversations. They've never even met a real Jew, so they're mm-hmm, dealing mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. a a kind of a traditional doctrine that emerges, and then it kind of gets a life of its own, gets its own momentum, kind of like the snowball rolling down the hill, and they just react to it as if it's real, and they too are kind of blind to. Uh, to it. But of course, uh, what I like that Fredrickson does in this, in her book, uh, Augustine and the Jews, is she shows how Augustine actually uh, uh, tries to mitigate some of that. He try, he seems to understand the problem there and tries to carve out a way to understand that, wow, in fact, um, the apostles did keep the, the feasts and the Shabbat. Um, unlike uh, what Jerome wants to say. Jerome wants to say they did away with all those things. So there's a little bit of debate. Now, of course, this is 4th century. This is much later. But in any case, I think it's uh, it would be helpful for Jim's position in his, uh, just to strengthen his long-term uh, sustainability mm-hmm. as a teacher is to anchor his terminology in the world of the text he's describing rather than taking a term like anti-Semitism, which has its own history much, much later on and, and imposing that back there. So I, it's just a way to, to just sharpen the image a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's go back for just a few seconds. You said, you know, you, you talked about, uh, uh, was it Mark two or, uh, with, with Yeshua two, I think it's right at the end of Mark. So if that, if if, let's pretend for a few seconds that I'm, I just looked at it. It's two 27 and 28. Okay. So I'm the, I'm a, I'm a Gentile guy and I'm saying to you, Hey, I'm a Gentile. You don't have to keep the Sabbath, man, the Sabbath and, and all the Torah, that's all for the Jewish people. That's not for the Gentiles. God gave that law to the Jews, to the physical descendants of Jacob. Is that the first response that you go to Rob? Do you go to Mark 2, or do you go somewhere else? Well, I, that's a good question. Uh, Mark 2 would be a good place. I Or just Genesis. I would say, does Genesis 1 and 2 apply to all mankind, or does that just apply to Jews? Um, you know, I mean, does did God create, when God created the world, was he creating just the Jews, and that men, you know, non-Jews kind of emerged later? Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know that that's one possible way. Yeah. Uh, another possible way is take them to Leviticus chapter one, where it says, uh, "Adam ki akriv," a man who wants to bring a korban. Um, so it's not, it's it's not a it's not a native born who wants to bring or anything like that. It's just a man. Uh, the, yeah, the man who wants to to bring a korban to to worship uh, the God of Israel. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'd ask him, "Do you worship the God of Israel?" Do you worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Do you worship the same God that uh, gave the Torah? Forget, we, let's set aside whether you know whether the issue of whether the Torah was done away with or not. Do you worship the same God? And one of the favorite, one of my favorite things to do is to is to uh, obviously go to, to Matthew five seventeen. Everybody's going to say, "Oh no, no." You know, one of the one of the things that a lot of believers will do is they'll say, "No, no, no, no." He's talking to the Jews there. That's for the Jews. And uh, so, and, yeah, I think they should. We should encourage someone to write that Gen, and, the Gentile Bible. And, and and everybody and well, yeah, no doubt. Um, but but then, yeah, but that's the good point, Rob. Is that okay? If that was spoken to the Jews, then and the the physical descendants of Jacob, then what does that mean? That all of the Sermon on the Mount was given to the Jews. Does that mean well, that we should take out Matthew five through seven out of our Bibles if you're if you're a Gentile? Nope. That you know all the Beatitudes and everything that was only for the Jews. I See, would say, how about the Shema and the, the love God and love your neighbor? Yeah, is that for the Jewish disciples? Well, only? You, you know the whole the meek shall inherit the earth kind of a thing. You know all of that when Yeshua was going through his his Sermon on the Mount. That, that those are big key points for the pastors in the pulpit. So all of a sudden, if you take that away and say no, that wasn't talking to the Gentiles, that was talking to the Jews. Guess what? 
there's probably <laughs> then then the pastors start to get really upset. No, 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 you can't take that away from us. So it's uh, you know, and and of course, uh, if you did see the debate between Staley and uh, and Chris, I, I man, I gotta get his his last name. I feel bad because I I feel like I'm butchering his last name every time. Um, anyway, I think it's Roseboro. I think it's Roseboro. So if you saw the the debate between uh, Jim and Chris, let's go that route. Uh, then you know, uh, uh, Chris speaks to Matthew 5.17. I totally disagree with him on his interpretation of that. Uh, he basically said, no, he meant for a time. When he says the laws enact until heaven and earth passes away, it's just an idiom. It's like us saying until hell freezes over. And then he says, uh, you know, that so the law was good until its end, which was when, when Christ died, is is what his answer was. Uh, we'll talk to Chris more next week and uh, and get some of his views. We're not going to try to debate him or, or uh, anything like that. We're just going to try to have him clarify a couple of different passages that he brought up and a couple of the discussions. And a big thanks once again to uh, Jim Staley for coming on the show today. We hope that you'll join us next week as we talk to Chris even though we might disagree with him on this, we all are trying to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. <music>